All right, like a little brother, I would say, probably would be a good thing to thank the Lord for if you had a good one, which she does not. Take your Bible to 2 Corinthians this evening, chapter number 9. If you'll recall, uh, two weeks ago, not last week because we had the Rochesters in, and boy, Brother Matthews preached a fantastic sermon, one which I heard many people come up to me afterward and say, Brother Andrew, that was exactly what I needed. Praise the Lord. I'm glad. That's, that's good. That's, it's amazing how different speakers, different styles will speak to different people. I'll never forget watching Dr. House during the Bible conference. Never leave this one foot by one foot section. And yet the whole time I'm sitting there just thinking, man, this is good stuff. And uh, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, truly, it is the foolishness of preaching because there's no one way to do it. There's no right way to do it. There's a bunch of wrong ways, but certainly there's not one right way. And I'm just so thankful that uh, Brother Matthews did help many of you. But the week before that, we began speaking on the pillars of gratitude. And the first pillar of gratitude, I don't think I even told you what it was. Um, I preached the sermon without actually telling you. But the first reason or the first pillar that we are to be grateful is because of our Creator. That's why the Bible says, oh, give thanks for the Lord. He is God and He is good. We've got to give thanks not for many other reasons, but God is good and He's good to us. And we have sure received a lot of His unmerited favor. And so the first pillar of gratitude was our Creator. We're just thankful because of who He is and what He's done for us. And then this week, we'll talk about the second pillar of gratitude, which is contribution. And you say, uh-oh. We're getting into tithing. Well, not quite. It's not quite that. I think you'll see that as we go on. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 6. The Bible says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And you're thinking, It is a tithing sermon. You lied, Brother Andrew. No, give me a chance, okay? He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also sparingly bountifully. If you'll look uh, chapter 10, uh, verse number 1, will give you a little context. Now the Corinthian church did many, many things wrong. Uh, in fact, uh, 1 Corinthians and, and, and much of 2 Corinthians is written to correct error within the church. More specifically, sexual uncleanness and fornication that was in the church and accepted within the church. And so these two letters are written for a vast majority to help them. Also doctrinal error had come into the church and that's why some of Corinthians is written about tongues and he was trying to tell them that about tongues and how it should be used within the local New Testament church here in Corinth. But, but verse number 1 of chapter 10 or verse number 9 chapter 9 gives us what context this chapter is written for and it is this for as touching the ministering to the saints it is superfluous for me to write to you so the context of the chapter so we're clear is not necessarily tithing it is concern and care of the saints within the church. That's what verse number one says, for it's touching the ministering to the saints. Now, I believe that when you do tithe, you do 
help the church. I, I think that if you were part of the financial decisions as I am privileged to be, you would see that much of the, the tithes that come into our church is then sent straight out to help folks within our church. When, when a widow's car breaks down or when someone's air conditioner breaks down, that they're not able to take care of it and they're trying to serve God faithfully and love the Lord and they're trying to manage their money correctly and they've just fallen on some hard times, the church steps in there many times and will help them and assist those during those times. Uh, but right here, the context of this chapter is not specifically tithing. It is concern and care for the saints in the church. Now verse number 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I think some people would be better off not tithing because they do it with such a bad attitude. The Bible doesn't say God loves the obedience of a tithe. In fact, you could look in the Old Testament and find that God actually said, I would rather you not sacrifice if you're going to do it the way you're doing it. And so, so God does place a lot of emphasis on the heart and the motives that we do give with. And right here God says God loves a what? A cheerful giver. The Bible says in verse number 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower... Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings. Unto God. Now, if we were to search the Bible, I don't think we would find many passages more appropriate for the, the holiday season that we enter into, right? Two different times this passage uses the term thanksgiving. And as we look at the pillars of gratitude, one of the ways that we're going to have a good thanksgiving is if we participate in God's uh, plan of contribution. Continuing on in verse number 13. Whilst the, by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, what if I told you that you could make someone's holiday season, specifically their Thanksgiving season, better. Would you want to do that? What if I told you that it is God's will for you to make someone's Thanksgiving season even better? Would you want to do that? You see, in fact, it is God's will that you would do that. I remember a while back when, in fact, a very long time ago, I think I was five years old. My dad took me to a friend of his house. 
That man's name was Walter Mize. He lived out in Godly on a really big ranch. I think the ranch is about uh, 1,300 acres. And if you know anything about property value in this area, 1,300 acres in Godly is worth a lot of money this close to DFW. And uh, the land is beautiful. Uh, What makes it beautiful is the deer, frankly. They have a lot of big deer. But also it's got creeks that run through it. Uh, It's got nice hardwoods. It's just a beautiful piece of property. Walter Mize was actually a prominent businessman, and he was a very good Christian man. He helped the church on many projects. If you remember, um, when we sent all, every house in Joshua a Bible, Walter Mize contributed a great deal of money to that project. In fact, I believe he even uh, contributed to the bicycles when we gave away, boy, I don't even remember how many bicycles, enough bicycles to fill the entire gymnasium. Uh, And that was a cool project. Uh, That was fun to see everybody there working and serving together and, and helping our community in that way. But Walter Mize helped us in doing that. Well, I remember at five years old, my dad took me over to Walter Mize's. And mind you, this was before I had ever gotten my first real gun. Now, I had gotten a BB gun for Christmas several years prior. And the only thing I had ever really shot with it was myself. Uh, You know those little tyke basketball goals that are plastic? Did you know BBs do not penetrate plastic? They bounce off plastic? It just so happens I learned what a ricochet was that day as it came back and hit me in the leg. Uh, But nonetheless, I I didn't have a a big gun yet, or what I thought of as a big gun. And so Dad took me over to Walter Mize's house. Now, Walter was, as I mentioned earlier, a very good man, a Christian man. But he also loved the outdoors. Uh, On the property there in Godly, he didn't ever deer hunt. All he did was deer watch. And every evening, you could go into his yard and look at anywhere from 200 to 250 of some of the biggest bucks you've ever seen in your life, right in his front yard. I, I personally fed a deer a saltine cracker on the back porch of his daughter's house on that property. They called her uh, 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 Sparkle, I believe. She would come up every day and they'd feed her saltine crackers. It was awesome. This property was beautiful. It was great. He loved the outdoors, but he also loved guns. He was a man's man. I'll never forget, we entered into a room. You know you're a real man when you have a room for your guns, right? (laughs) I have a closet, uh, a very small corner of the closet, amen? Uh, This guy had a room full of guns. We walked in, and, and I'll never forget, down the center of the room, probably five racks across, every three inches, there was a, a stand-up rifle, a gun, a shotgun or a rifle, a full-length gun lining about six rows the full length of this room. Along the walls, there was double-stacked cabinets on the bottom and on the top, full of guns. It was fantastic. And to a little kid like this, I mean, I was eating this up. This was great. Until one of the cabinets caught my attention, more so than all the other guns, the big ones. There was one cabinet that had what I, what I now know is a cricket, okay? You, you probably don't know what that is, but a cricket is a twenty-two rifle about this long, and it, it looked like they had been made for my shoulder. Not only did he have one cricket, he had twelve of them. Twelve little bitty twenty-two rifles just like this. Now, I don't have a gun yet. And I was thinking to myself, 
boy, if I play my cards right, I might leave here today with one, amen? <laughs> I can turn on the pouty lip as good as anybody, amen? So I'm, oh, Brother Walter, I have heard from a very far distant land of your generosity towards youngsters like me. I'm telling you what, I will never forget looking at that cabinet and longing for one of those rifles. Now, unfortunately, Brother Walter never gave me one of his rifles. I had to wait till Santa came by for that. Nonetheless, I remember thinking, man, he sure could have made my day a whole lot better if he'd have let me have one of them rifles. As strange as this may sound... God's plan for the Christian life is not that we would all just gain wealth for the purpose of gaining wealth. So that our bottom line or that our dollars might account some level of success for us. In fact, I believe if you look in the New Testament, you'll find a church that worked together and and met needs. And and when things didn't meet for someone, they, they came around them and helped them through it. In fact, even in this passage, every time the word thanksgiving is used, what it is saying is that through our generous giving of our concern for our brother, we will inspire feelings of thanksgiving in them towards God. If you could make somebody's thanksgiving better, would you do it? Let's look at a few principles from this passage tonight. And we'll, we'll try to hurry through them. I don't want to keep you too long. But number one this evening, let's look at the purpose for God's supply. Have you ever asked yourself this? Why would God give me anything? Even the psalmist had thoughts like this. He says, what, are, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou wouldest visit him. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and with honor. Verse number 3 speaks in that passage of Psalm chapter 8 of how God has given us dominion over the animals and over his creation. And the psalmist came to this question one day and he said, How could you give everything to me? I'm so undeserving. Why does God give us so much stuff? Why does God bless us with the blessings that he does? Well, number one, the passage says that we might do good with it. Verse number eight, notice with me, if you will, the Bible says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God can give you anything he wants to give to you. You'll never run short on supply if God is able to make all grace abound to you. That ye always having all sufficiency, God will always meet your needs. He will always fulfill the supply and demand. He goes on to say, all sufficiency in all things, say it with me, may abound to every good work. Why does God give us the blessings that he gives us? Verse number 8 tells us, so that we can produce works of righteousness. That we might abound to every good work. That we might help someone along the way. James chapter 4 tells us that one of the wrong ways to pray, or at least one of the ways of not getting prayers answered is this. He says, the reason you don't have the things that you want, he says, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. And he goes on to say, 
that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. See, God's purpose in giving you blessings is not so that you can enjoy those blessings. His purpose in giving you those blessings is that you may do something good with it. You might be able to somehow help somebody along the way with the blessings that he's given you. That we might be able to do good with it. Romans chapter 6 encourages us that God's plan for everything that he's given you is that we would choose to yield our members as instruments of righteousness and not of unrighteousness. God wants you to use the tools and the resources and the assets he's given you for his glory to help someone along life's way. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in, thine power, in the power of thine hand to do it. Now I recognize tonight that this won't be a very amen driven sermon. I realize that preaching that we should be a more benevolent people is not a popular topic. Oh, it sounds good, doesn't it? And, and certainly we feel good about ourselves when we walk by the Santas at every store with a bell ringing, you know. And we give them the dollar. That's not the benevolency we're speaking of tonight. We're talking about when our Christian brethren fall on hard times and are unable to meet the demands of this life. If we will extend more than our prayers. Isn't that what we say? Oh, I'll pray for you. When God's thinking all the time, you are the answer to the prayer you are asking. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due. One of the reasons God blesses us the way he does is that we might do good with it. Number two, verse number 10, that we might be provided for personally. Verse number 10. Now, what you've got to realize is I'm not creative enough to come up with stuff outside of the Bible. Okay, I wish I were. I, I can't preach one of those sermons. If it's not in the passage, I don't preach it. So, verse number 10, notice with me. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. The illustration here, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't understand what it was saying at first. I struggled with this, with understanding and comprehending what it was speaking of. But God is the giver of the seed. And, and what he's saying is, God is able to give you the seed for your bread. But as the farmer plants the seed, he's doing so in expectation of what? A harvest. And as he harvests the seed, God is so good to us that not only does he give us our own supply, our own food, if you will, the seed for the bread, he leaves the farmer with something else. What is it? The seed for the next harvest. You see, if the farmer utilized all the seed that God gave him, he would never have enough to plant next year. And the passage is teaching that God gives us, certainly, number one, so we can enjoy the supply that he gives us. You see, God, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. The Bible encourages us not to uh, covet after things that the Gentiles seek, but that we should be content with the clothes that we have, the food that we have, and the things that, the, 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 the things that God has provided for us. Why? So that we can live for the kingdom of God instead of living for the mammon of this world. 
Isn't that what the Bible says where it says, therefore, take no thought of the morrow. Uh, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. What does verse 33 say? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The first reason God blesses us the way he does is so that we might do good with it. The second reason he blesses us the way that he blesses us is so that we might be able to utilize what he's given us. Number three, that we might be able to see an increase. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. But in every farmer's sowing, they expect what? A harvest. And if you plant one seed, you expect what? More than you got. Well, unless we plant it. Because if we plant it at, Josh, uh, at the W4 Ranch in Putnam, Texas, we're not going to get anything from it. But good farmers, when they plant seed, they expect what? More than they sowed. My dad one time preached a sermon. He says you, preach, uh, you reap more than you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap what you sow, the same type as you sow. And I'll never forget, my dad took a kernel of corn, a, a whole, uh, not a kernel, a whole ear of corn, and he took a Sharpie marker. And he sat down and marked every kernel of corn and counted each kernel of corn. And he gave the exact number that was on that ear of corn. And he says, you reap more than you sow. One kernel of corn produced this. And he said, not only did one kernel of corn produce this, but it produced eight others on the same ear, uh, stalk of corn. You see, you reap more than you sow. And if you look at the Bible, you'll understand God wants you to be a good steward of the things that you have. You ought not be wasteful. I've often asked myself, and this is just a little personal thing about me. I always ask myself as I sit at a buffet, what is worse, gluttony or wastefulness? Because sometimes I struggle with that line. I don't know if you do or not. But, but. As I age and I develop, I find myself bordering more on the gluttony aspect of things. But, but that's a serious question. Is it better to throw away uh, an entire plate of food or is it better to just eat it and be a glutton? I don't know. But I know that God wants me to be a good steward of the things that he has given me. And if you look at every, every parable that Jesus teaches... And he'll talk about a man going to a far country and leaving his servants with with talents. What is the theme of every single parable? That those servants would be good stewards, invest their money or their talent, and see it multiply. Is that correct? In fact, the only people to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, in the parables are the people that wisely invest their money and see an increase. Now, God wants you to be a good steward. And I listened to a commentator today say this. I encouraged a man not to give the other day. Obviously, that seems a little shocking that a preacher would ever say, we don't want you to give. But what the man was doing, he was giving so much that his family was being neglected. 
You see, I don't believe that's biblical because God gives so that we might see an increase, that we would be good stewards and utilize the resources he's given to us. That is the purpose of why God gives you things. He wants to take care of his army so that they might be able to serve. I'll, I enjoy spending time with Brother Sean sometimes. Um, but the other day he was telling me of the difference between the Marines and the Air Force. And he was telling me how tough the Marines have it. You know, he said that they walk to school uphill both ways with their shoes off and uh, in the snow. Right, Brother Sean? The Marines, they, they don't have cots. They, they don't have mattresses on their cots. They just have lumber. Just two by fours. Just, they don't even have plywood. It's just rails of two by fours. You've got to be man enough to sleep on those bunks. Is that about accurate, Brother Sean? Amen. Who, what, is, what do you all say? Hoorah? Hoorah. Hoorah. Not hoorah. Hoorah. No H. The H is silent. Okay. <laughs> but he began to tell me that there are other branches in the service that have it a little bit more cushy. Would, would, would that be a good way of saying it? Now, I don't want to call anybody out. I don't want to say what branch he might have been referring to. But, but he was saying that there are some that he visited their barracks and he visited their cafeteria and he realized that they were eating much better than he was eating. And they were, they were far more comfortable than he was. He said he walked into one of their barracks and they had direct TV in their barracks. They were watching satellite programming. Brother Sean apparently did not have that. And Brother Sean, being the man of God that he was, served his country admirably, never complaining until he got back home. Amen? Amen. Look, the reason God takes care of his children is because we are the army. And he gives us these things not so that we can live high on the hog or not that we can try to keep up with the Joneses, which, by the way, materialism is one of the greatest sins and idols in America. God doesn't give us these things and these blessings so that we might heap them and consume them upon our lusts. He gives them to us so that we might glorify Him and work for the kingdom of God. The purpose of God's supply. Number two, though, verse 11 caught my attention, and we'll call it this. The peculiarities of God's supply. Verse number 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Three phrases or words caught my attention here. Number one, being enriched. Now, I don't personally believe in a prosperity gospel. If I believed in a prosperity gospel, somebody's going to have to explain to me why the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Why foxes had holes and birds of the airs had nests, but Christ had nowhere to lodge. If, if a prosperity gospel, if, if you get right in God's will, God's going to bless you, He's going to make you wealthy, healthy, and successful, I don't see that in the Bible. I see that all but one of the disciples was, was uh, martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. I see that the one that wasn't was boiled in oil and exiled to, to an island. I don't see a prosperity gospel in scripture. But I certainly see a provision gospel. God supplies our needs. And he supplies well. But verse 11 says this. 
being enriched. Being enriched. Now, I looked up what enriched is, and, and, and the word means this, to be richly furnished. <laughs> well, that kind of does make me believe, well, maybe the Lord does bless us beyond all types of knowledge and all, all, maybe, maybe it's more than even I can imagine. God will make us wealthy and healthy and successful, but that's not what it's saying. What it is saying is God will supply the need to meet your demand. Whatever he has called you and wants you to do, God will supply the resources to do it. He will adequately furnish you without any shadow of a doubt. Being enriched, it's peculiar because not everybody is enriched the same way that others are. Within this church, we have folks that struggle each and every week to make ends meet. In this church, we have other people that retired at a young age and are very successful with where they are in life. We have all sorts of different people in this church. And, and honestly, that makes up our church. That's, it makes our church unique and special. And, and, and that is what God is saying when he's saying being enriched. He's blessed you exactly how he wants to bless you. To meet whatever need you have. To meet whatever ministry you may have. Being enriched is the first phrase I find unique. Secondly, he says this in verse number 11. Being enriched in everything. Now when I think of riches, I, my mind, my carnal fallen mind, thinks of financial blessings. It's just automatically what I'm, I'm programmed to go to. When I, when I think of riches, that's what I go to. I think of riches as just earning more or having more enriched. But verse number 11 makes it very clear. You can be enriched in more than just finances. Being enriched in everything. And if the passage is talking about your care for the saints of God, did you know that there are other ways to bless people than just giving them money? In fact, just this week... I heard of one of our Sunday school teachers, and I thought this was a fantastic idea. Mrs. Bowery uh, works with Miss Maxwell in the fifth and sixth grade class, the girls' class, right? I think this morning in the Sunday school class, Miss Bowery helped them learn table manners. No, that's great. You know, half these girls in her class, now if your daughter's in her class, please realize I'm not talking about your child, but you realize a lot of the girls in this class... Will, will never have anybody formally sit them down at a table and teach them how they need to act and behave? I've had conversations with Miss Bowery. I know she wants to help them understand what it is to dress modestly. Help them understand what looks good and what looks attractive while without having to show the world everything. You know what that is? That is Miss Bowery. And I, I'm not trying to brag on Miss Bowery. I'm certainly not trying to idolize her or lift her up as if you know, she's the one we should analyze. But it's a great idea because what she's done is God has enriched her with knowledge and experience. And now she is utilizing that in everything to be a blessing to others. Now, now it's not just finances. What has God put in your hand that you can do at this church to serve the saints? Because that is how people express, or let me say it this way, that is how the saints experience thanksgiving. 
We'll get to that in just a moment. Being enriched is the first phrase that drew my attention. In everything is the second phrase. And number three, to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Bountiful, the word there means not self-seeking, openness of heart manifesting itself by generosity. Not self-seeking, openness of heart manifesting itself in generosity. Caring for someone, not so you can get a pat on the back, not so somebody can say, Brother Andrew, or, 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 or you want, you know, preacher to say something about it. No, 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 no. Not self-seeking, just being a good Christian because that's what it is to love the Lord. Caring for people above the normal standard of Christianity. A while back, we, we had a guest preacher in. This is before I even came on staff at the church. And dad, for some reason, was out of town. He wasn't going to make it back until later. And I'll never forget dad handing me his credit card. And he said, Andrew, I want you to take care of brother so-and-so. I think at this time I was only uh, 17 years old. And he handed me his credit card and he says, I want you to take care of brother so-and-so. I went and got brother so-and-so from the airport. And I'll never forget. I said, where do you want to eat? He said, I don't know. What are you thinking? And I said, well, I'm thinking Outback. He said, okay, well, let's go to Outback. So took him to Outback. Took him to a nice hotel, got him a room. I, it, why was I so generous? Because I had dad's credit card. If it had been my credit card, I'd been like, well, I have a coupon at Whataburger. Buy one taquito, get another taquito free. So that means I get the free one you have to pay. I had dad's card, right? The whole purpose and the peculiarities of God's blessings in our life is this. He says, I want you to be a blessing to others. And you use my card. Oh, but oftentimes we, we take it as if it's our own. God says nothing that you have is your own. God wants us to be the Jesus in our world. I don't want that to spook you or scare you. But when Jesus was on this earth, did he not care for people that just frankly did not deserve it? Did he not reach out to those that probably nobody else reached out to? God wants you to be the Jesus in your world. And he wants you to care for people the way that he would. Number one, the purpose for God's supply in your life. Number two, the peculiarity of God's supply in your life. Number three, the product of God's supply in your life. If you obey what God desires for you, and you extend... The goodness of God to others in your life, here is the result that will occur. Verse number 11. Which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Verse number 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the wants of the saints. It's like verse number 12 is saying God has figured out how the church will always be taken care of. Uh, the church takes care of the church. Not only does this meet the supply that other saints might request, but notice this, 
But it is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. The purpose that God would have us be, what this passage is asking us to be, is that we would point others to a Savior. Now, now we are not good so that we can receive glory, or at least that's not the idea within the Bible. We are to inspire others to give God the glory for our good efforts in their life. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Do you know the rest of the verse? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Every time you do a good deed, we are only reflecting the light of God to others. We are helping them understand that God is good. And we are only extending His goodness that He has given us in our life. It inspires others to give God the glory. But not only that, it encourages others to reflect on God's gift. Verse number 13 says, Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God by your professed subjection... Unto the gospel of Christ. Your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I had trouble understanding what this meant. You know, it's funny, but I don't understand everything that the Bible says all the time. So I have to do a little study sometimes and figure out what it's saying. Your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ. We would say... That because of our relationship with Jesus, we are trying to be like Jesus. He has been good to us, therefore we want to be good to Him. And the gospel, in essence, is speaking about God's gift to us. Undeserved, unmerited favor, given by God freely. We tell children all the time, it is a gift. You ever wake up on Christmas morning, go to the tree, and find some list of requirements that you have to do before you can get Christmas gifts? And we do that with chores all the time, don't we, parents? Like, But not at Christmas time. Christmas time, the kids can come to the tree messy. They can come to the tree in their pajamas. When my sister and I were kids, that was the only night of the year I got to sleep in my sister's room. That was the only night of the year we were friendly to one another. Right, Mandy? I mean, it was awesome. It's like, Mandy's talking to me. This is great. And she had a little trundle bed. Remember this, Mandy? She had a trundle bed. And she would pull it out and we'd sleep there. And uh, about 2.30 in the morning, Mandy would wake me up and say, Hey, let's go look at our presents. So me and Mandy would get out of bed. You know, you're, not supposed, you're supposed to wait till the morning. But uh, we'd get out of bed 2.30 in the morning. We'd go and we'd look at all the presents. We'd go, oh, Mandy, what'd you get? I don't care. I'm still looking at the stuff. I'll come over in a second. Oh, this is great. And they're all laid out with all the stuff Santa Claus brought us. You know, it was fantastic. Our parents, no matter, every year, 100% of the time, we batted a thousand on this. We woke them up every year. <laughs> you know, we were trying to be, Mandy, come Every year, no doubt about it, 10 minutes later, I see you guys are already up, you know, and this ruined it every year. You know, my parents never told us to go back to bed. I mean, this is Christmas morning. These were free gifts, undeserved. They were, this is Christmas time, man. You know, I probably deserved coal a whole lot more than I ever got it. 
I'll tell you what, I'll spend some time around some of your kids. You can save a whole lot of money instead of going Black Friday shopping. Just go get some coal. Have you ever known a kid that actually got coal? Brother Jim, he said, yeah, I want. <laughs> Look, I don't know a single kid that ever did. I know a bunch that deserved it. Why don't they get cool? It just so happens it's Christmas time. It's free gifts. Look, what I'm saying is we tell children all the time, God's gift to you is free. And what we are doing when we are in subjection to the gospel is we are living out what we say. We say, oh, God's been so gracious and good to me that I'm just going to tell everybody, I'm going to share with them, not only through communication, but by my actual interactions with them, I'm going to be good and generous like my Savior was to me. And so you are displaying the subjection Uh, of, of you towards the gospel. You are displaying to them what Christ did for you and reflecting that to them. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ came into the world to save and to serve. How many Christians do you know that sit back almost like they're the ones that need to be served? It's not a biblical concept. We are to produce an attitude of thanksgiving in all of those that we come into contact with. Now I want you to take your Bible to Luke 22 as we close this evening. This certainly could be an entirely different sermon. We're well ahead of time. But Luke 22, verse number 14. I want you to see a group of men who in the face of of extreme service ignored the overwhelming message that it had to speak and were only concerned about themselves. Verse number 12, verse number 14, I'm sorry. And when the hour was come, he sat down in the 12 apostles with him and, and said, and he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Now if you recall, and you've studied your Bible a little bit, you know what's going on. This is the Last Supper. Christ has now served the elements, if you will, of this supper. He's given them the bread that represents his body that was to be broken, and he's given them the drink that was to represent the blood which he would spill for their salvation. 
what these men, these apostles are able to be a part of right now is, is a very solemn and special meeting. I mean, they are experiencing the first Lord's Supper ever. This is the church. And now the Lord Jesus is telling them, this will be the last meal I ever eat with you until I am to be crucified. This is their master. This is, this is the guy they've given their lives to serve. Christ is breaking all sorts of news to them right now. He's telling them that he's about to die for their sins. He's telling them about the, the, the Lord's Supper here. And then he breaks this news to them. This bombshell, if you will. Oh, and by the way, one of you is the one that's going to betray me. If you were one of the apostles... What one of these crazy big stories would you be focusing on right now? Maybe it's the fact that the master you've given your life to serve is about to die on a cross. Maybe it's the fact that you are now taking these, this bread and this, uh, this juice as, as uh, the salvation or at least a representation of your salvation. Or would it be that the man that is to sell your Savior out is sitting among you? Which storyline would you be focused on? I want you to see what they were focused on. Notice with me in verse number 24. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be, say the next three words with me, accounted the greatest. Are you with me? Seriously, let's think about what's going on. Can you understand the audacity of these men? To be at the Lord's Supper, Christ has just told you he's about to die for your sins. And then he tells you, oh, and by the way, one of your closest friends, one of my confidants right here in this room, he's going to betray you. And and then you know what the conversation was instead of, well, Lord, why are you going to die on the cross? Or when are you going to die on the cross? Can we do anything to help? Uh, Lord, what, should we die with you? Or Lord, what is this, what is this uh, supper you're teaching us about? We're, we're supposed to do this oft, Lord. Tell us about that. Or, or maybe they should have been saying something. Lord, this is, who is it? Is it John that's going to betray you? Is it, is, it, is it Judas? Is it Peter? Which one of us is it that's going to betray you? What was the topic? Hey, I wonder who's going to be, be- who's the best apostle? Who's going to be the greatest? I'm here to tell you right now, friend, if our churches would stop focusing on their standing in the church and just start focusing on how they can be Jesus in their realm of this world, I believe the gospel would actually have effect. But instead, we're more worried about what people think about us. We're more worried that, you know, we, we compartmentalize our social circles, don't we? We've got our work relationships, we've got our church relationships, and then we have our friends. We don't bring church into our friends, we don't bring friends to work. We've got these clear divided lines. You know what we're doing? We're worried about what people are thinking of us. Christ's goal for you this Thanksgiving is that you would so help other people see God's goodness that they would be thankful for Him. Hopefully, if you're here on a Sunday night listening to me preach, you know we have so much to be thankful for. The question of whether we should be thankful or not should have been established a long time ago with most of us. 
But the question of whether you are helping other people be thankful, I don't know if we're answering that question all the time. God's will for you is that you would help somebody this Thanksgiving season. Really, it's not just this season. It's all year long. Who are you helping see the goodness of God in your life? 